this evening some of the same passages that we were in last Thursday night, and then we'll look at uh, the book of Second John, and then uh, probably a, f- a couple of verses in Jude, and then while we're at it, let's just go right on the Revelation, read through Revelation, why don't we, uh, no, we'll read in these few places, and uh, tonight is going to be a little bit different um, it may be a bad idea. It may be dangerous. I have no outline tonight. And so what I am going to do is, and I'm going I'm to I'm speak, if I give this a title, I'm going to speak on what they really believe. What they really believe. Uh, to remind you, we are, this on, on the, our midweek Bible study, we've been in last day's theology. Uh, it's the study of the emerging church and the contemporary movement. And, uh, and tonight I'm going to uh, go back to what I talked about last Wednesday night, or last Thursday night, in those seducing spirits. And uh, I'm going to review that just a little bit, uh, get into a few verses in Second John, and then remind us of what Jude says. We spent a lot of time in Jude. Of course, we know we based this series off of Second Timothy chapter number 3. Uh, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. I don't have to remind you, but I'm going to remind you anyway. Verses 2, 3, and 4 uh, speaks of all of these things that are going to be evident, all these kinds of people, all these characteristics uh, in that last day. And uh, we see all of them. Uh, but I make the argument, based on what I believe the Scripture says, that uh, Paul is speaking of inside the church, inside the religious circles. Uh, that is going to be evident. We always characterize that for the world. It's certainly true of the world. But when the world comes into the church, that's when we've got a really big problem. And so uh, we're going to look at that. And then I'm going to spend, uh, after we get through the scripture, I'll make some comments on some scripture and review. Uh, I'm just going to read to you uh, some from this book. And I'll tell you more about it. Uh, in just a few moments, uh, but basically it is a book written by uh, some, uh, some of the founding fathers, if you would, of the emerging church movement, defining what they mean by, mean by their terms. And so uh, much of the study tonight is going to be me reading somebody else's words. So I guess I'll just be like a lot of other pastors tonight and just read what somebody else has written. But uh, anyway, um, so, uh, but I figure the best way uh, week after week, I'm showing you from Scripture, and I've given you some illustrations, but because of time, I've just been shooting out and quoting some things to you. But I'm going to read right from their words tonight. And um, I think that is the, uh, because something that, that I think we have to hold to, and, and, and let me remind you, of course, while, while we get into this, we have to know what we believe. And the devil, since Genesis chapter number 3, uh, has been using... Scripture almost. Twist it, uh, change it just a little bit. And part of the problem is we don't know what God really said. We have not studied out what God has said. Or before we buy into something, we have a responsibility to say, well, what does God actually say about this? And so that's one reason, because if you recall, when we started the book of Ephesians, we, we don't want to be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. We want to be anchored to the truth so that we can, without doctrine, you cannot grow. You have to have Bible doctrine 
to grow as a Christian. We've got to have that. And so, but we also want to be armed with the truth because uh, there are so many who are getting swept up in this emerging church movement, this contemporary movement. We all either know somebody or have somebody related to us who has been caught up in this, and it is catching up our whole society. I believe it is the belief system that's going to take us all back to not us, but take all back. Uh, to that uh, one world religion. We'll get to it. I'm going to touch on mysticism just a little bit tonight. But the Catholic Church steeped in mysticism. Uh, This belief is steeped in mysticism. It's all going to come back together, I believe, because it's like a virus. Uh, There are are Methodists who are the emerging church contemporary movement. Uh, There are Presbyterians who are the contemporary. It's not only the, the, the Baptists who it's like you have your choice, traditional or contemporary. As I taught you last week, uh, what they're saying is, do you want the, the spirit or do you want a seducing spirit? You want the spirit of Christ or do you want the spirit of Antichrist? That's the two choices that we have. And so I want us, when they because they use all the, all the, some of the same words we use. Uh, they talk about the church. They talk about Jesus. But tonight I'm going to tell you what they really believe. One or two things of this might be a review from six or seven years ago when I, when I talked briefly on this. Uh, but we'll get into that. Let's, let's hear what God says. And then let's hear what they say, and uh, then it's going to be very clear uh, what spirit this falls into. 1 John uh, chapter number 2, in verse 18, 1 John 2, 18. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father, uh, we come to you tonight. We want to get into your word. We want to uh, know the truth. And Father, may the Holy Spirit help us discern tonight. May the Holy Spirit of God be our teacher, our instructor. And Father, may we uh, be more grounded in our faith. May we realize what we have, the value of our faith, that common salvation. May uh, we educate ourselves in Scripture so that uh, we can know error when, we, when, we are presented, when it's presented to us. Bless our time this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. Little children, chapter 2 of 1 John, verse 18. It is the last time, and as ye have heard, that Antichrist shall come... Even now are there many antichrists. We know there's going to be an antichrist, but now there's many antichrists. Uh, It is the opposite of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the one who would oppose the Lord Jesus Christ. Even now there are many antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Remind you just a little bit. We see here there is Antichrist. There is the true spirit of God. Then there is an opposition, a spirit, the Antichrist, plural, not the Antichrist. We, we know that we, we, we spent more time on that last week. Look at verse 22. Uh, who, uh, who is a liar... But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledges the Son hath the Father also. Once you remember verse 22, it says, Who is a liar, but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. You ask anybody in this contemporary movement if they believe in the Father, they will tell you yes. You ask them if they believe in the Son, they will tell you yes. If you ask them that Jesus died on the cross, they will tell you yes. But I want you to just keep that in mind when I read you what they say about God and they say about Jesus in just a moment. 
and then you and I can be the judge of whether or not it falls into the category of verse number 22. See, you can believe there is a heavenly father, but if you don't believe he is exactly as he says he is, you're denying him. You can believe Jesus Christ actually exists. You can believe that he walked on this earth. You can believe he died on the cross of Calvary. You could even believe he was resurrected. But if you don't believe him as he says he is here, uh, you are denying that he is the Christ. Verse 26, these things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. Remember, that was our subject last week, the seducing spirits of the emerging church, the seducing spirits of the contemporary movement. Paul writes about it to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter number 3. He warns him of the seducing spirits. We see some of that in the book of Jude as well. Well, where do these seducing spirits come from? Automatically, uh, a lot of times we think seducing spirit has got to be from from the practice of witchcraft. Uh, Those that would worship Satan and all these that are caught up in the cults. Well, friend, there's one spirit of God. Every other spirit is from the devil. And so whether you are outwardly saying, I belong to the church of Satan, or you are following a seducing spirit, you are following a spirit from the same source, and that's the devil himself. So the Bible tells us there is Christ, and then there is Antichrist. There's, there's, there's only two. There's not, there's not traditional Christ, and contemporary Christ, and Antichrist. Anybody out there? There's only Christ and Antichrist. If it's not the Lord Jesus Christ, as Scripture speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ, every other spirit, every other belief is Antichrist. So whatever denominational label you want to put on it, if it is not as the Scripture says, it's Antichrist. You can take Catholic doctrine, it's Antichrist. You can take Methodist doctrine, it's Antichrist. You can take Islam doctrine, it's Antichrist. You can take a Baptist group, independent or southern, and if they have the contemporary movement that they follow, it is of the spirit of Antichrist. Spent more time of that last week. And see, there are some who know this, and they are willingly, they are apostate, they have left the truth, and they have embraced error. Uh, that we, We're told in Scripture uh, there's going to be a falling, falling away in those last days, but there are a lot of people who are just following along the leadership that's been given them. They have been seduced by these seducing spirits, and they have fallen into that, but it, it, is, it is Christ. Or it is Antichrist. There is no middle ground. Verse 27, But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth and is no lie. And even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. Chapter number 4, verse 1, we covered this last week. Beloved, believe not every spirit... Believe not every spirit. We understand what the Bible says? It says, believe not every spirit. If we were to flip over to the book of Jude, we see that there's certain men that crept in unawares. Meaning, you didn't know they were there for the purpose they were there. They presented themselves to you as harmless. They presented themselves to you as in the spirit of Christ. Sometimes, 
uh, preachers who uh, stand by the word of God and follow scripture says, mark them that cause division. Let me just help you with that context. The one who is pointing out the false teaching is not the one causing division. If you look at the context of scripture, it's the one teaching contrary to scripture is causing the division. But sometimes it's like, well, I can't believe that. Why would, you, why would you say that about a brother? I don't think you should disparage your brother's char- uh, character. I don't think you should disparage your brother's uh, personality. I don't think you should make that, anything like that personal. But we have a command to contend for the faith and mark them who did, some have crept in unawares. Is that in the Bible? If you don't believe me, flip over a few pages to the book of Jude, chapter, uh, verse number 3. There's some who have crept in unawares. So we tie this with 1 John chapter number 4, Beloved, believe not every spirit. Some, because they're seducers, they're good at what they do. Now, we, can, we, look at, we, have, we have the Bible. We, in hindsight, look at Genesis chapter number 3. It is like, Eve, a snake is talking to you. Why are you having that conversation? Why isn't that snake dead, number one? Because, you know, the only good snake is a dead snake. Why, why, what are you doing, Eve? You've got to be the... I mean, how did, how did Adam even have a conversation with you? I mean, you're, you're, your sense just isn't... But you've got to remember, this is before the fall of Adam. That serpent was the, was the most beautiful creature. It, it, it was, and he was, it, she was engaged in this conversation. She was seduced by the serpent. Seduced by Satan. We can be seduced if we don't follow chapter number, because there are some who crept in unawares. They've crept in with a purpose. That's one of the responsibilities of the pastor, the shepherd, is to, is to guard against wolves, is to uh, keep the wolves away from the flock. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try. We talked about that last week. Test, prove the spirits, whether they are of God. How do you do that? Well, you compare it to Scripture. The Holy Spirit, who moved on men to pen this book we hold, is not going to whisper in the ear of a man today and tell him to do something contrary to what he's already said. So if you're going to try the Spirit, I taught last week, these contemporary movements, they have Spirit in their services. You can feel it. But it's not like we felt just a little bit ago we're singing about salvation. They, oh, oh, we got our worship on and it was off the chain. I hope you never leave the Emmanuel Baptist Church using that terminology. Please, no. Uh, it is, you know, oh, it was just, there's a spirit, but it's from a seducing spirit. There's a different spirit. So we're to try the spirits. Why do we need to, every new thing that comes along, why are we supposed to look at it suspiciously? Because we're supposed to try the spirits to see whether they are of God because many false prophets are going out into the world. It would be so nice if you and I could just concentrate solely on just serving God. Solely on just growing as a Christian. But Satan is working against you. He's working against me. He's working against the church. He's sowing tares amongst the wheat. So what are we to do? We're to try the spirits because there's false Prophets, verse 2, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit 
Now confesseth that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist. Wherefore ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. Verse 5. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God, he that knoweth God heareth us, he that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. We see again there's a spirit of truth, there's a spirit of error. There is no middle ground. Okay, We've got to have this understood in our minds because there are people who are nice people, there are people who are even sincere people who want to give us something that looks almost like truth, but there's no almost truth. It's truth or error. Uh, just, just like the kids were in school today, uh, they, they, they put an answer down on the paper. It was either right or it was wrong. Uh, it was no, well, you're in that gray area, and so you're, no, no, it's, it's right or it's wrong. Same thing, it's the spirit of truth or the spirit of error. Verse number, or chapter number five. Look at verse number uh, five. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? Okay, who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? Jesus was sent into the world. He overcomes the world. And it's through Jesus you and I can overcome the world. We're going to see in a minute, and I've taught you this, the whole philosophy is not to accept Christ and have the, become more like Christ so through the power of Christ overcome the world. It is let's change Christ to fit in the world. Let's change the church to be more like the world. That's not what, what, what this scripture teaches. Verse 6, this is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the spirit that beareth witness because the spirit is truth. Look at Second John, verse 7. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. If God thought it fit and necessary to put these scriptures in the Bible and preserve them, I believe every word is in scripture on purpose because God wants it there. And he says, there are many deceivers are entering into the world who confess not Jesus Christ. Why is it so hard for us to believe that there's many deceivers in the world? If he, if he preserves the scripture in, in the book of Jude, verse 3, as I already mentioned, there are many crept in unawares. It means they're inside. Why is it hard for us to believe that? This is a deceiver in an antichrist. Verse 8, look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. Okay? Whoever abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. Oh, we independent Baptist preachers today, we're mean, aren't we? We're unloving, aren't we? We have no compassion, don't we? 
Well, they wouldn't have liked the Apostle John, John the Beloved. He said, don't even tell them to have a nice day. Don't even bid them Godspeed. If they're bringing you a doctrine that says uh, that, that, that He is not the Christ, and, and let me refer you back to what I said just a few moments ago. If you ask them, do they believe? Oh, yes, we do. Oh, yes, we do. Well, not in practice and not in their teaching. They don't believe it. He says, don't even bid them Godspeed. Verse 11, for he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. I didn't write the Bible, ladies and gentlemen. But you and I have a responsibility to hold to the Scripture. Now, this is not teaching that those who are caught up in this, that we don't even say hello to them. It is speaking in the context of those who are perpetuating the false doctrine. Now, I'll say this. If you have a friend or family member that likes to get in the ear of your children, you better put a stop to it right away. I'm sorry, I just would skip the, the, this is just me, you do what you want to do. I don't have time to to show you what I would base this on, I've talked this before, but I I don't care if they have the same last name, I don't care if they have a different last name, I don't care what they have, but if they're going to get in the ear of my children and my family and tell them that what is taught in this Bible is not true, I'm sorry, it's not happening. That's just one less Christmas card I have to send out. But it's not talking about those who are swell. We want to understand this so that we can help, we can try and win those who are caught up in this. So we see there's a distinct, and I've done all this review on purpose, there's a distinct difference between the spirit of Christ and the spirit of Antichrist. There is no different spirit. I said it tonight, I said it last week, I'll say it one more, more time before I read a couple of verses in the book of Jude. Uh, well, traditional and contemporary. We still preach the Bible. We still, we, we, we still hold to these things. Well, why would you bring the spirit, of, uh, a seducing spirit, a spirit of Antichrist, in the same building with the spirit of Christ? So I don't know if I believe that. I could, sit, I could take, I would be glad, to, and I've been doing it for week after week after week, but I, would, I could sit down and take my Bible and take their own words, and I could defend what I just said. As I taught, I think it's, Two or three weeks ago, they, they can't defend what they believe because they believe nothing. You ask the average contemporary going Christian, the average emerging church, what they believe in their list of what they believe is what they're against that we believe. They don't believe anything. It's just what they're in rebellion against. There's only two spirits. The book of Jude reminds us, verse 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith, which was once delivered unto the saints. I'll review it again because it's so important. We always focus on contend for the faith, and we should. Why do we contend for it? Because it's a common salvation is contained in it. Because everyone deserves to be told, everyone ought to be told that all you have to do is believe on the only begotten Son of God. And the Jesus of the Bible is the Jesus they ought to be introduced to, not the Jesus of of false doctrine. You look at every, this is a core thing for you to look through false doctrine. Every cult has a Jesus. 
He goes by the same name. Every one of them. Islam has a Jesus. Catholicism has a Jesus. Mormonism has a Jesus. They all have a Jesus. But it's not the only begotten Son of God. It's not the perfect Lamb of God. The contemporary movement, they have a Jesus too. It's not the Jesus of this Bible. And I know you believe me because of what I've been teaching, but I think I'll convince you when I read to you what they say about Jesus in just a moment, which was once delivered unto the saints. You know this. I've said it many times. I'll say it again tonight. The faith was once delivered. I want you to remember that in just a minute when I read from some of this. Once delivered. Just because we're in a postmodern generation doesn't mean it needs to be rewritten or reintroduced. God said forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Psalms 119, verse 89. Jude chapter number 3 tells us it was once delivered. The faith was good enough the first time it was delivered. What does that say about our God if it's got to be redone? It says he's not enough. Says says if 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 we got to push it well let's we got to reintroduce it to this generation meaning there's a generation that just can't comprehend our God the Holy Spirit is is just not capable in this generation we've got to water it down we've got to change it we got to make it less harsh we got to do all of those things then He is not the, the the Savior that I read on the pages of Scripture verse four for there are certain men crept in unawares who are before of old ordained this condemnation, ungodly men. Oh, he's a good guy. Ungodly men. Who are these men? They turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. I'm going to teach on this, if not next week, very, very soon. You hear this word grace all the time. Grace, grace, grace. Where's your grace? Where's your grace? I'll mention it very briefly tonight, but their version of grace is, I can do whatever I want to do. That's turning it into lasciviousness. And denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? I've only got about 10 or 11 chapters I'm going to read to you. No, just, just words I'm going, to, I'm going to let them define for you tonight. Think about some of these verses I pointed out. There's a spirit of Christ. There's a spirit of Antichrist. It's not about style. I've, I've taught on that in the past. They want to, they want to attack our methods. But it's not our methods that, that they're after. It's the doctrine attached to those methods that they're after. That's why you cannot get one of these contemporary... I, I, I know them. I went to school with them. I, I know them. I, I've, I've had conversations with them. They do not want to talk about Bible doctrine. They want to talk about the methods. They want to call the methods. They want to call, the, they want to call it legalism. Or they want to call it this. Or they want to call it that. And, and, and they're not after the methods. They're after the doctrine. That's what they'll talk about. It's not about styles. We gotta push back, we gotta push that aside. There's the spirit and there's seducing spirits. There's truth, the spirit of truth. We saw it in scripture, right? And there's the spirit of error. Everybody with me? There's the spirit of Christ, and there's a spirit of Antichrist. There's no other spirit in there. It's one or the other. This is a book called The Language of the Emerging Church. Three men co-authored it: Leonard Sweet, Brian McLaren, and Jerry Hasselmeyer. All three of these are, are emerging church to the core. I've quote, some of the quotes I've had through the weeks are from Brian McLaren. Uh, Leonard Sweet is one. He's kind of the, the godfather, if you will, for all of these of today. 
The Brian McLaren, and I hope you don't recognize these names. If you don't, you're better off. The Brian McLaren's, the Rob Bells, all, all of these of today. Um, the Ed Stetzers, he's pretty popular today in some of our, in some of our groups. He, he gives, they get all, all their connection they get from Leonard Sweet. If you read what Leonard Sweet writes, he does not give a plan of salvation. He does not give a testimony of salvation. Matter of fact, everything he teaches, if he believes it, he needs to get saved before it is too late. This is who co-authored it, and they had the idea for them to explain what the emerging church believes. Them to explain their terms. Now, aren't you glad that we already have a book that explains what we believe? Explains the terms of what we believe? Well, when you see what they believe, then you'll understand why they had to explain it. You'll find that these definitions don't come from Scripture. They come from the culture. You'll see that very, very quickly. And, and I don't have time to go through a lot of these. But like I said, there's about 10 I'll get to. But as you look through, they have it broken down by letter, A through Z, and they pick certain words that they're going to define. A is for abductive method, attention, augmentation. My head hurts already. Um, no atonement there. B is for beauty. Be living, belonging, blur, body, branding, no blood there. And it goes through in each letter. Uh, and so there's some very obvious things that are missing from their terms. Uh, heaven and hell will not be defined in here. Well, one version of heaven will be. Uh, maybe I'll get to that quote. But you, don't, you, you read all of the, I, I, I've, I've probably got four dozen books from submerging church, contemporary movement, and you don't find any teaching on heaven, you don't find any teaching on hell, it's just a casual mention of one or the other. And they avoid the subject of hell altogether. They, they, there's no rapture. They, it's all this, we're, we're for the kingdom. Uh, there, there is a kingdom of God. But there is a rapture. There is a second coming. That you and I are taught that we ought to be watching for that um, there's not, not that. They have their definition of holiness. I'll get to that. But heaven and hell are missing. Resurrection, rapture, salvation, second coming is all missing. Uh, let me, because I'm running out of time very, very quickly, that one, be living, uh, is a playoff of the word believing. And uh, it's, it's a new term that they're, they're using, but they do a comparison of what uh, Jesus says in the gospel, specific, specifically the gospel of John. And uh, they are following the emphasis where, where uh, Christ says, believe in me, believe on me. He says there's two theories. There's, there's a theory of what he's saying is, follow me. And then uh, what he is, is saying is, believe in me means have confidence in me. Now, if you recall a few weeks ago, I, I, I preached from Acts chapter uh, 16, I think it is, where he says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That means placing your belief on him, your trust on what he has done. So he's saying there's this belief of follow me. What he's saying is when Jesus is speaking, he says, follow me. And then there's this belief of, of, of believe in me. But they write, um, in other words rather than distinguishing the two formulations, would be wiser to, to conflate them or augment each with the other. So we hear Jesus, Jesus saying, have enough confidence in me to follow me. 
they're taking what is supposed to be salvation and saying, just believe in me. Uh, the devil believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. Just, just believe in me enough to follow me. There will be many in that day that say, Lord, Lord. Say, depart from me, I never knew you. It's a false salvation. Now, now bear in mind what they believe, and I'm going to skip ahead the deconstruction, and we'll skip back to this, because uh, they believe in uh, this emerging movement, this new movement is we reject anything traditional. We reject anything that is, that is rigid. They call the truth rigid. They call uh, authority rigid. And we reject, it's all man-made traditions. That's all it is. Deconstruction is a big emerging church word. Here's their definition of it. An approach to interpretation of literary text that begins by questioning many of the assumptions of traditional interpretation. Deconstruction asks, well, first of all, they're saying, we, we take this, we have this idea, when we look at a literary text, or we look at an old film or something, and we interpret what it means. Are you following me? That's deconstruction. Deconstruction asks, now they're going to apply it to, to uh, scriptural matters. Deconstruction asks, might the author have had subconscious motivations at work that express meaning even deeper and perhaps more interesting than his or her conscious intents? Or deconstruction might ask, might the author have been expressing broader cultural ideas or emotions or conflicts that he or she wasn't even aware of and that therefore lie deeper than conscious intent and are an essential dimension of meaning of the text? So they apply this to Scripture. Did they really mean... When Shakespeare was writing this, what was his deeper meaning? What was his... What was his mood that day? And so they take that and they apply it to the Bible. Is the author really mean what he wrote? Or is there a different meaning that he meant to say and he was trying to say when he wrote the Scripture? I'll read a quote for you. Traditional modern interpretation then is fond of finding the one true meaning in a text. That is referring to us. We are the traditional modern interpretation. That's what they call those that just happen to believe the Bible means what it says. It's fond of finding one true meaning in a text. While deconstructionists do not give anyone reading privileged status, but rather are interested in hearing the interplay of many interpretations that arise from within many different interpretive communities. Did you hear what they said? I'm not going to have time to get to it, but interfaith is one word they say. And they teach very specifically that we should not alienate ourselves from, from other faiths, that we ought to come together as much as we ought to come together. Now, I can only draw the conclusion if they're teaching that over here, that's what they mean. Here, we want the interplay of many different interpretations. They do not want, thus saith the Lord. This is what God has said. Well, did he really mean come out from among them? Did he really mean, don't forsake the assembling of the, yourselves together? Did he really mean, let's, we don't need thus saith the Lord or preacher, let's have a discussion. And let's, you tell me what you think, then I'll tell you what I think. We're all equals here. No opinion is less important than the other opinion. Friend, 
that has got to turn the stomach of God. It's got to anger God. God doesn't need you. God doesn't need me trying to figure out what God has said. How many of you are saved tonight? Well, guess what? You have the Holy Spirit of God to help you understand what God said. That's why when lost people look at the Bible, they don't have a clue what it's talking about. They say, that doesn't make any sense. That goes against what, you know, you get saved, you get something, you get the Holy Spirit inside of you that helps you discern what the Bible is talking about. That's, that's why, that's why they, hey, I'm a nice guy. That has nothing to do with my message. That's why I throw that out there. You're nice people. We are a friendly church. Every time a first-time visitor comes, they always say the same thing. This is the friendliest church I've ever been to, and it's got the best-looking pastor I've ever, I've ever... Those two, well, one of those is what they, they always say. They always say that. We are a friendly church. People like the music. People like what we do. But you know what it is? Sometimes when you start growing and, and, and you start getting into this carnal world and, and, the, and the preacher's preaching from the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God is doing one or two things. He's telling you, yep, that's right. That's right. Or he's telling you, you know, you need to get that right. I, I, I want to go where I'm not always being condemned. I know you've never heard that. I want to go where I'm not always being judged. You know, if, if I quote scripture and it bothers me or it bothers you, the problem is not with how it was quoted. It's not with the source. It's the Holy Spirit of God saying, listen up, buttercup. It's time for you to get yourself right with God. But those of us who are just the one true meaning in a text, the, the, the deconstruction is we want to we bring that back and forth. By driving for one, the one true interpretation, for example, they disenfranchise postmodern readers for whom deconstruction is much the mother tongue as traditional interpretation for modern people. Did you hear what they wrote there? Did you discern that? Because we hold to that one true text, we are disenfranchising millennials, postmodern readers. This is just the way they live. They look at truth. They look at authority. And they, again, I hate to shoot down all this theology with one scripture verse, but truth endureth to all generations. It's Bible. It's simple. Here it is. Instead of just saying, hey, you're a rebel. Get right with God. You're a rebel. God said, if you don't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved Instead of letting the work of God work under heart and life, we have a group now that says, come over here with us. We won't condemn you to hell. Friend, I cannot condemn anybody to hell. You cannot condemn anybody to hell. Only our sins condemn us to hell when we reject the Savior. Well, modern Christian leaders demand that deconstructionist hearers convert to their traditional mode of interpretation. See what they're doing? There's a traditional mode of interpretation. And then there's a postmodern mode of interpretation. That's the way you... I've had people who I know are saved, but they've left the truth. They say, that's just the way you believe that. Thou shalt not is pretty clear. I'm not sure what else you can discern from that. Well, that's what you believe. Well, you used to believe it. Um, anyway, I got nine more to go. 
and I'm nine minutes over time. But they deconstruct. What is the deeper meaning? I've got, I've got to read a couple of these to you. C is for coaching. It's a spiritual director is now part artistic director, part interior designer, part coach, part cheerleader. No pastor. I'll have my pom-pom Sunday. See, I just gave you a visual image there. All I said was pom-poms. I didn't say any of the other ensemble, okay? Um, the Bible speaks very specifically about the pastor. He's the, he's the under-shepherd. He's the overseer. And see, it's the whole idea. We reject any authority. We reject any, uh, any rigid belief system. We don't want anybody saying, this is the way you ought to live. This is what you ought to do. This is what you ought to believe. We're not going down that road. That's not what we're doing. Thus saith the Lord. Uh, they, don't want, they don't want that. They want a coach. They want a Joel Osteen. They want somebody to say, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. Way to go and make them feel good about themselves. You know, sometimes we ought to feel bad about ourselves. The, the Scripture should do that to us. The Holy Spirit should do that to us. But we, we see is for coaching. C is for culture. The I am sent his only son to say this to every culture. I'm in. Much of the church is trying to get out of what Jesus is trying to get into, culture, whatever it is. Culture is an essential concept and the central doctrine of the Christian faith, incarnation. We must start with the basic fact that there is no such thing as a pure gospel if by that it meant something that which is not embodied in a culture. Every interpretation of the gospel is embodied in some cultural form. Did you catch that? Every interpretation of the gospel is embodied in some cultural form. It's not a pure gospel unless it's attached to a culture. Deconstruction, I did. G is for grace. Grace is only an invitation for us to participate. It's literally only two paragraphs. Uh, without our participation in God's hospitality, the energies of the divine are unsatisfied. What's the worst you can think of? There but for the grace of God in an accident of birth or an incident of child abuse or one dysfunctional parent, go you and I. There by grace, go you and I in service and ministry. My grace is not just being able to overcome. The, the grace I've experienced through salvation is not just, well, I had a bad hand dealt to me. I'm just going to carry on. That is their version of grace. But it's for by grace are you saved. That's why there's a whole group of people who are sincerely lost and they're being deceived because they're being told Bible words have a different meaning than they actually have. Some of these words, I don't even know what they mean in here. Holiness. That's a bad segue right there. Uh, holiness, they teach, is wholeness. Meaning it's complete. But even more, it is also wholeheartedness. The doctrine of holiness is this. If you are going to be a disciple of Jesus, be a disciple who goes all the way. God is calling us to go the whole way with me. Make it your ambition to use your gifts to maximum purpose. That's their definition of holiness. It's the same thing as, as Rick Warren's purpose-driven church. You find your purpose, that's your salvation. Fulfill your purpose in life, that's your relationship with Christ. It's a false salvation. Their version of holiness is just go all the way with Christ. Be all in. 
There are some people who are 100% committed, but they're 100% deceived and committed to a false salvation, a false doctrine. That's their version of holiness. See, when they say they believe just like you and I, our methods are different, don't fall for that. Don't fall for that. Well, we, we all believe the same thing. We believe the same, but we believe the same thing. It's just, you just have a different way of doing things. I'm not falling for that anymore. There is a difference. That's why you can say it. You're not recruiting my kids to your college. You're not sending your groups here. You're not, I'm not going to your conference. I'm not doing all of that. Things that are different are not the same. This is, I hate to even, I hesitate to even say the, the, the title, but I need to say it because it's blasphemous. Now I'm going to start talking about Jesus. The title of this is J is for J Factor. That's how they refer to the Son of God. I could just stop right there and please don't tell me their Jesus is the same Jesus as my Jesus. Please don't try and make that argument that they were. They worship the spirit of Antichrist. They have been deceived by the spirit of Antichrist. This is what they say about Jesus. But the bread of life needs to become fresh manna for every tribe and culture to pick up. In the era of Christendom, when people say no to Jesus, they knew what they were missing. In this new world, we must present a Jesus that the world doesn't know it is missing. Okay, so they're saying in the days of Jesus, like we're preaching through the book of Acts, they knew Jesus was crucified. They knew he was so saying, So it was obvious to them. So they're saying now, we need, we, 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 they don't know what they're missing. Again, they have no recognition of the Holy Spirit of God. They have no acknowledgement of the Holy Spirit of God. When I was a child and got introduced to Jesus Christ, and I could still see the flannel graph of when he died on the cross and paid for my sins, and that salvation testimony was being given, that because you're a sinner, if you don't accept Jesus Christ, accept his payment on Calvary and the resurrection, believing in that, you're going to die and go to hell. And as a little child, the Holy Spirit of God, who is very real, and very evident, said, whispered in my ear, that's true, and if you die right now, you're going to go to hell. And thanks be to God, I trusted Christ as my Savior. I didn't need Him repackaged. In the same way that some biographies need to be rewritten for each generation. Are you listening? In the same way that some biographies need to be written, rewritten for each generation, the story of the incarnation needs to be incarnated. In this case, Jesus has the first pre-modern, post-modern, so that people can not just make Christ the center of their lives, but bring their lives into the center of Christ's life. I don't even know what that means. But it's not the same Jesus. It is not one. If, if, you, if you really knew Jesus as your personal Savior, you had an understanding of Him taking your sins on Him on the cross of Calvary and suffering death and hell, you wouldn't refer to Him as the J-factor, first of all. And that's the same Jesus you'd want every generation to know about. The common salvation, 
the faith once delivered, but according to the emerging church, the contemporary movement, that so many of our Baptist brethren are let change their music, change their doctrine, change their standards, this Jesus is not the same Jesus of John 3.16. I didn't write this book and put words in their mouth. This is what they say they believe. This is going to make you feel even better. They put an activity in here for us to do as a church. Are you ready? Gather your team together and bake or buy a birthday cake. Assemble candles, balloons, and other party materials. Go to a section of town you normally avoid and knock on doors to talk to people on the street. Go to the poor places in town. Go to the places where, you know, the minorities live that don't look like you because they don't try and reach them because they don't put anything in the offering plate. That's a whole nother story. But let's do something different today. Let's go to a neighborhood we normally don't go to and bake a birthday cake and go and knock on doors and talk to people on the street until you find someone who has a birthday coming up soon. It can be an adult or a child. Deliver the party materials, light the candles, sing happy birthday, and then leave. Then... Have each person describe his or her experience. It's one thing they forgot the bottles of water to hand out, but anyway. What does it mean when Jesus says, when you do it for the least of these, my brothers, you're doing it personally for me? Why do we need the poor as much as they need us? Why do the richer need us as much as we need them? Describe what a Christ-like church looks like based on this shared experience. That's how you discover who Jesus really is and how He can make a difference in your life. Friend, I hate to tell them, we already go to neighborhoods we don't normally go to, and we already knock on doors and find adults and children on the street, but we don't have a birthday cake to, to, to celebrate their, their physical birthday. We want to tell them about Jesus and how they can have a spiritual birthday. You know what's exciting about that? Riding back in together and getting back to their church and talking about the experience and what we experience and how it is life changing. We're way ahead of them and they're the postmoderns. We're already doing it. We're just doing it according to Scripture. Now please tell me they know who Jesus is. Tell me with a straight face. Tell me with something more, and I know this isn't for, I'm preaching to the choir tonight, but I want somebody, I want this group to tell me that this is the Jesus that they're preaching to. You cannot get this, you take it all the way in our, and I told you this was dangerous tonight because I didn't have an outline. You come all the way to even being affected by independent Baptists, they're getting it from over here, who've getting it from over here, who've getting it from over here. It's all coming from the same place. They're seducing spirits, they're getting all, what's well, just methods tied to doctrine? You cannot take a method without taking the doctrine it is tied to. There is no way around that. It is based on the spirit of Antichrist. I should probably stop there. There is one more. They use L is for lost, saying we shouldn't use that term because it makes us feel elite. So we can no longer sing, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Meanwhile, you've got to hear this. There's reason to ask, who is really lost? Them or us? 
Then they give an analogy. If you mail a letter and it has an address, it's supposed to go to a certain destination and it gets lost in the mail. So many Christians are like that. On the way to fulfill their destination, the way to fulfill their purpose in life, they get lost along the way. So who's really lost? I'm telling you, I'm, I'm telling you the truth, it's there. These are the mentors. Sadly, of some of our independent Baptist brethren, they wouldn't tell you that. They wouldn't tell you that this material came from the person that they read their blog, who comes from their books, who they incorporate. They will not tell you that, but this is where it is. One more. Everybody okay? Mysticism. Talking about the, our church age traditional, we destroyed superstition. We believe in the supernatural. We don't believe in superstition. We believe there is a God. There is a Holy Spirit of God. There is a God who does the miraculous. Postmoderns are more likely to define God as mystery that meaning alludes to. They carry within them a mystical consciousness. In their world, the in, 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 inanimate, you know the word, becomes animate. Magic and mystery and miracle are everyday occurrences through non-conceptual thinking. They use the example of a Furby to represent their mysticism. I, I'm not making this up. But they, they, their spiritual enlightenment is through mystical enlightenment, through anomalies and peak experiences, and through soul journey. Uh, I, I, I don't even think I need to comment on that. Okay, one more. This is the one I was looking for. W is for the way. They refer to John 14. And they quote one portion of that chapter when Thomas asked, how can we know the way? You, you know the passage. Jesus is telling his disciples, he's, I, go, I go away to prepare a place for you. Thomas asks, how can we know the way? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Don't miss this next part. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You know the passage. They quote here when Thomas says, how can we know the way? And we, they quote that first part. I, Jesus responded, I am the way. He's the way maker. He sent us the way, or our God the Father sent us the way Himself to set us free to live the way. That's their interpretation. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man come unto the Father but by me, their interpretation is God sent Jesus as the way to free us so that we will know the way. Yeah, I was as confused the first time I read it too. But that's not what that passage says. It says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You believe on me. There's no salvation there. It's, we've just been freed. The way is the path that we should walk. And, I, and I'll clarify this. This will help. But Christian truth is a person who invites us to join him on the way. Christianity is a way of life. That's how they completely twist that scripture on the way, the truth, and the life. God sent the way to free us so we could join him on the way. The Christian life is 
the way. That's not what that Scripture says. He says, I'm the way, meaning you've got to believe me. You've got to depend on me. I'm going to lay down my life. I'm the only way to get from, from you to get to the Father is through me. They twist that to being Christianity is the way. It, it, it's, Christianity is a way of life. The Christian life is more a journey than jailed beliefs. More pilgrimage and practices and propositions and principles. Did you catch that? It's your journey more than it is jailed beliefs. It is pilgrimage and practices than propositions and principles. That's why you ask them what you believe, and when they're done telling you everything they don't like about what you believe, they have no beliefs. Because it's all about the journey. Where do you go to church? I'm on the journey. What are you doing? It's just a journey. Aren't you glad we're on this journey? Friend, I'm, on, I, I'm a pilgrim passing through just like you are if you're saved. But, but, I, but Christianity is a relationship, not a journey. It's no wonder they never talk about the second coming because they're not prepared for it. They never talk about the rapture because they're not prepared for it. They use the word kingdom 172 times in a 32-second conversation because they're not looking for an eternal destination. Because they believe on a Jesus that they teach in here that will not save them. They believe on a Christian relationship, a Christianity, that way is it's part of our journey. It's just living the life. That's why I live it the best I can. That's why, you know, that's why, and I'm not against this. That's why their whole church function is baking. Well, I am against this because it's just stupid. Baking a birthday cake, as was read in there, and going down and then discussing the experience. We gave a cake to some poor people. How condescending is that anyway? And then, but this, well, we're going to go and we're going we're gonna to pass out water here and we're going to do this in here. I'm not against that. I think we should be a blessing to our fellow man. But when that's the purpose of your church, because you're on a journey... Because it's all about benefiting our fellow man. No, friend, we are told to preach the gospel. We are told to go into all the world. We are told to preach Christ. We are supposed to go door to door and house to house. Why? To give the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our purpose. It's not just to live out our journey. Much more I could do there, but I'm way out of time but I did that tonight because I want you to, to hear what they say. And when this is all in the book, I will have all this documented so you can see page number and everything. But you and I, the bottom line, is we need to know what we believe. And we need to know why we believe it. And I've said this before. I get really upset at those who've crept in unawares because they're bringing a spirit of antichrist. But I don't get angry, I actually weep at those who've been, de been deceived. And they think they're, they're doing the best they can. And they think because they have a journey, they think because they are on a way, they think because somebody has told them that this is your relationship with Christ, or check this box saying you want to receive Christ, and that's all there is to it. Because of all of that, they are deceived into thinking they're saved. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if because we armed ourselves with Scripture, that we knew how to discern through all of the words? Well, I believe Jesus is like you. Ask them to tell you about their Jesus. 
and they start talking about their Jesus, it's not going to be the same Jesus you and I believed on. Maybe I'll give you an opportunity to tell them about the real Jesus. Jesus, the only begotten Son of God. Father, help 